I'd like to thank Kirk for reading our scripture. I also want to make mention, a note was handed to me uh, to be announced, and I'm sure I'll forget to give it to Billy when the end is over. So, uh, Glenn and Carol Ann Salter would like to thank the congregation for the prayers and the love that has been shown to them. And uh, uh, we're so thankful to them for their, for their desire to make that known. We love them and appreciate all that they do. Tonight, for just a little while, I would encourage you to turn with me to Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 10, the, pretty much the first half of the chapter. But as we begin, as we talk about Romans chapter 6, there will be things that we'll notice as they transpire from chapter 5 to chapter 6. In chapter 5, it, it talks about the grace, the grace and the great blessing that is found in forgiveness that comes through the Son. And that brings us to chapter 6 where we begin in chapter 6 and verse 1 where there's almost a type of confusion. There's almost a, a misunderstanding within what was taking place or rather Paul was quick to clear up any misunderstanding that they might have inferred from that. So as he tells them about grace and the great love and the great gift that was shown through the grace of God, how that they could be forgiven and that, that no, no matter how great a sin is, there is something much greater within the grace of God, how that they could have forgiveness. That brings us to chapter 6 and verse 1. And in chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The question comes up, well, since that grace of God is so good, since the blood of Christ is so pure that it can wash anything away, well, obviously I ought to be, be able to live any way that I desire. And God's blood or Christ's blood is so good. God's grace is so good that, hey, I'll be forgiven anyways. And so he, he, he lays out the question at the end of verse 1. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Because grace is so good, shall we just live any old way we desire, do whatever we feel like would be fun, whatever we feel like would be what we want to do. Then he, he answers that in verse 2, and he says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? As we begin, I want to start with our first point, fleeing sin in Christ. If we are to be in Christ, the idea is that we need to flee, we need to avoid, we need to run from sin. Because we have a different way of life. First off, I would like you to notice the life change of a Christian. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13, it talks about that, that life change. It says, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. He says, only do not use liberty as an opportunity to flesh, but through love serve one another. You think about liberty and the freedoms that come through it. It says, you brethren have been called to liberty. In Christ we find that liberty. We're no longer, we're no longer captured or obligated by sin and that, that our life leads straight to death, but rather within a Christian we find liberty in Christ. You can look at 1 John chapter 1 and verse 6. It says, if we say that we if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, he says we lie and do not practice the truth. Notice, in order to be in fellowship with him, 
They no longer walked in darkness. Therein again we see the life change of a Christian, the different way of life, something separate. So as you look at the the life change of a Christian, we also understand that repentance is that turning point in the life of a Christian. The person that that changes their life, you have a person that, that lived any old way that they felt like they could and felt like they wanted to, and then they commit to Christ, and we find repentance, meaning turning from what is not righteous in their life to pursuing righteousness. In Acts chapter 3 and verse 19, it talks about repentance there, and it says, repent therefore and be converted, meaning change your life completely. And it says, do that, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. They may be extinguished. They may may be done away with. So the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Within fleeing sin in Christ, we understand that there is repentance in turning to Christ. The whole reason we can understand that we can't continue in sin and hope for grace to just cover everything is because repentance is part of it. Meaning we turn from sin because grace is so good. Not because grace is so good, therefore we live any way we desire. We, we fill our life with sin because the grace of God is so great. But because the grace of God is so great, rather we choose to give our life to Christ. Now if you look at the end of verse... Or in Romans chapter 6 and verse 2 it says, Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? They wouldn't want to choose to continue to live in a way that is not proper. Because that grace of God, if you go back in uh, Romans chapter 5 or also in verse, uh, verse 1, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Verse 20 in chapter 5 says, Moreover the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. They could be forgiven through grace. You see in verse 1 it says, Shall we continue in sin that we can have the more grace? No, absolutely not. But rather understanding the grace that comes through Christ. They would understand that there's a better way. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20 it says, Moreover, the law entered that offense, that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, it says grace abounded that much more. We see that there is grace which is able to cover anything. But the problem is the person still had to be that person that was willing to repent. The person had to be the willing, be willing to understand that the, the grace that was given to them or shown to them through Christ brought them to a point where they must change their lives. In Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Meaning you didn't earn it, you didn't deserve it, but rather the grace is extended to you as a gift. And therefore, as the gift has been extended to us, we can continue to understand the design, how that we shouldn't desire to continue to live unrighteously so that we can have more grace, but rather we must desire to live for God. Understanding that as we receive that grace through Christ, when when we give our life to Christ, our life fails to be our own after that. From that point forward, our life does not belong to us. I think of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 where it says, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live physically. I'm still alive. And it says, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself 
for me. We see within our life, our life is not our own, but Christ lives in us. Within the grace that is extended to us, we see that the blood of Christ that washes away sins ought to be the blood that flows through our veins and that we strive to be like him. That we strive to show the world what Christ's purpose was. We'll notice as you look through the New Testament, you'll see over and over how that life was in Christ. In John chapter 1 and verse 4, it points to that and it says, In him was life, and the life was the light of man, or the light of men. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 22, it says, For even as in all, in Adam all die, it says, In Christ all shall be made alive. We find life in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, as you begin... What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin? No, the idea is we want life in Christ. The grace and the life that is extended to us comes through Christ. It says, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? As you think about us, understanding that sin is what brought death about. In Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, it says, the wages of sin is death. We died, spiritually speaking, when sin entered into our life. And therefore, we need that grace extended to us. And so it says, they who died to sin. Now, if you notice in verse 2, those who died to sin is in contrast to those that live in it. Meaning, if we are going to die to sin, there is a difference. It says, how shall we who died to sin, meaning we put sin out of our life, choose to live in it any longer? We can't. You can't choose to live in sin and at the same time choose to be in Christ. Now as we go on, I'd like you to notice following the pattern of Christ. We see first we flee sin in Christ. Next we'll follow the pattern of Christ. In Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 3, it says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we should walk in newness of life. Notice first, buried with Christ. In verse, verse 3, it mentions that of the baptism, which they would have understood as Immersion would have been much easier to understand from the very beginning that it was a burial, but just in case, I guess people get confused, people lose the sense of burial, he clears it up even better in verse 4 when he says, therefore we are buried with him through baptism into Christ. Now this would completely oppose any view of any other type of what is quote called baptism. Sprinkling would not be an acceptable way because the Bible says they were buried. You don't bury someone by sprinkling water. You don't bury someone by pouring water or pouring any other such substance. But rather it says in verse 4, Therefore we are buried. And the burial that it's talking about is in baptism. Understanding from the original Greek that it was immersion from the beginning. So burial and immersion was almost like it was saying the same thing twice. It was repetitive. But yet we see in verse 4, we are buried with him in baptism. First, as we consider the burial, I want you to understand that there is a transformation of the man. We go from this, this question at the beginning, can we continue in sin, to where we see a transformation of a man, where in verse 3 we see the person is baptized, 
They were baptized into his death, and it says they're buried to rise to walk in newness of life. Within the burial, we see the transformation. If you look at 1 John chapter 2, in 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15 and 16, it says, Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Then it goes on to list the, the things that are in the world. It says, For in all, all that is in the world, the lust of flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the world, not of the Father, but of the world. We see the transformation of man where it goes from loving the world and the sin-filled excitement that the world carries with it to loving something much better, to loving the Father. It says, if you continue to love those things, those sins, then the love of the Father is not in you. The idea is that they aren't living as a Christian at all. Which brings us back to Romans chapter 6 where they're told, shall we continue in sin? Absolutely not. Not only is there a transformation of the man, they're baptized, they're buried, they're, they're raised to walk in newness of life. Now they love the Father instead of the world, but there's also a transformation of practice. In Acts chapter 26, in verse 20, if you look at Acts chapter 26, verse 20, it says, But declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all region of Judea and then to the Gentiles. And it says that they should repent and turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. You see, within that repentance, there's a different action. There's a different practice within the person that turns to God because now they act like a Christian. Now they act as God would have them to do and that would be further defined by the word repentance. Not only do we have a transformation of the man but a transformation of his practice but finally you see the transformation of his status. In 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21 you'll notice it says the like figure wherein to even baptism... Okay, before this point, we find the person that's lost and dead in sin. Dead because of sin. And it says, therefore, we are buried with him in baptism. I mean, it says, the like figure unto even baptism doth also now save us. The status of the individual is changed. They went from a non-saved state to where they were saved in Christ. We see the person is transformed completely. It's no longer the individual that lives, but it's Christ that lives in him. It's no longer an individual that lives for the world and the sin of the flesh, but rather it's a person that lives for Christ. And in living for Christ, we see the practices that change, the actions, the lifestyle of the Christian is different. Now, not only do we see that the, within the pattern of Christ that they are buried with Christ... But you notice at the end of verse 4 and in the beginning of verse 5 that they are raised in Christ. In Romans chapter 6, at the end of verse 4, it says, raised to walk in newness of life. They were made alive through the resurrection. As you look at John chapter 11, you can go ahead and turn over there for just a second. In John chapter 11... In verse 25, it says, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. We're talking about the small picture versus the broad picture. We're talking about a person dying who yet lives. We're talking about 
being made alive through the resurrection, within God's design. We can be raised in Christ. And just as we would be raised in Christ, we're raised to walk in a different way. That's the pattern in Romans chapter 6. So in verse 5, well, we can catch verse 4 and verse 5. It says that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Verse 5 says, for if we have been united together in, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. We see how that, that Christ died and we see the individuals buried, but now we see the Christian raised in Christ. Just as Christ rose from the dead, when we rise to walk in newness of life, there is still assurance that just as Christ rose, we too will rise one day. We can rise to be in heaven with our Lord. We are raised by God's glory. If you look at Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Death couldn't hold our Lord because within God's plan, he could be raised. You know, when you look at us, as individuals, there was a point in your life, if you're a Christian, there was a point in your life where you messed up. And within that, within that mess up that I'm talking about, I'm talking about sin. And within sin, there was a point in your life where eternity did not look favorable for you. The wages of sin I mentioned earlier in Romans 6.23 is death, meaning because of sin, we would be condemned. But yet we can find ourselves raised by God's glory. Just as Christ was raised by God's glory, we too one day will have the opportunity to be raised by God's glory if we live for Him. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 24, we notice that death couldn't hold Christ. And I want you to understand that death cannot hold you if you are in Christ. Because there's something so much greater than what this world has to offer. Just as Christ was raised by, the, by God's glory and we can be raised by God's glory, we see that we are raised to serve a new master. There's something much greater, something much better. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 it says, <coughs> in, sorry, as we look at Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, it says, whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Once again we see that we're raised to serve, I think I got the wrong verse there, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one or he, and he will despise the other, or he will love the one and he will cleave to the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Within, within our new master, we understand that God has to be our supreme master, the only master that we look to, the one who we cling to. And we see that we are raised to serve that new master. Not only do we see that the individual is buried with Christ, not only do we see that they're raised in Christ, but if you drop down to verse 6, we see that they are crucified with Christ. Go ahead and look at Romans chapter 6 and verse 6. It says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, 
that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Just as Christ was crucified, and we understand that that he suffered the pain of death through it, we too must be crucified with Christ, meaning putting off that old person. In verse 6 it says, knowing this, that our old man was crucified. Our old man is put to death. Our old man is done away with. When we go down into the water, we understand that as we come up, it's a new person. But yet physically, we're the same person. Our spirit is purified. And we come up as a person that then pursues God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone, was in, if, if anyone is in Christ, it says, He is a new creation. It says, Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. In Christ, there is something new. We're a new creature, a new creation. We've put off that old man. We no longer pursue the things that the old Jared Rhodes pursued, but rather we strive to follow our God. In being crucified with Christ, we understand that we're becoming a servant. It's enlisting in slavery. We are saying, God, I want to serve you. I want you to be my master. I want you to make the decisions in my life. I want you to tell me what I can and cannot do. We choose to become a servant. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, as they're talking about the, the outlook on them, he says, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. We're called to do something better. We see, we follow the pattern just as Christ was crucified. We get rid of that old man. Just as Christ was buried in the tomb, we're buried in the water where we put off that old man. Just as Christ rose again to live with the Father, we rise again when we come up out of the water to live for the Father. As you look at the pattern in Romans chapter 6, we can see that we need to follow the pattern of Christ. Now, I don't want to stop there. Let's go just a little bit further as we consider finding freedom in Christ. Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. It says, For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Living with Christ requires a commitment to him. That's how the freedom came about. Because they committed their lives to Christ. Which is how it all started in verse 1 and 2 when he says, Look, do I really have to change or do I just do anything I feel good about? Living with Christ requires that commitment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1 it says, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Do what I do in following Christ. You know, as we think about Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, where we're told, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven, the idea is that they want to imitate you because you have life in Christ. 
as we understand the freedom that is in Christ, the commitment is there. We have to make a commitment to Christ in order to find freedom. Within finding freedom in Christ, we know also that Christ had to die for all mankind. Let's look in Romans chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. It says knowing, in verse 9, Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him, no longer has control. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. He paid the ultimate sacrifice one time, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Christ was that ultimate sacrifice for mankind. If you look at Hebrews chapter 2, in verse 9, we see, but we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, might taste of death for you, for everyone. Christ tasted of death so that we didn't have to truly suffer through what death brings. And I'm talking about spiritual death. Christ died physically so that we could live spiritually. And within that, we find hope. Just as Christ was made alive, we too will be made alive. Just as Christ was made alive, we too will be raised to life in the end. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20 says, For our citizenship, our home, the, the place we belong to is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. We can be brought together with our Lord. We can enjoy life, freedom in Christ. As we consider the freedom that was found in Christ, we see that, that Christ paid the ultimate death, the ultimate sacrifice in giving his life, how that he had to die for the sin of the world so that the world could have hope for the future. And as we close, I want you to look with me at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, it says, For he made him, talking about Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Throughout this pattern that we look at in Romans chapter 6, we find life, we find freedom, and we find justification in Christ. Without Christ, there would be no hope. As we, we talked about grace at the very beginning, you noticed it mentioned that it is the free gift of God. It's something that is given because you can't earn it. It's something that you don't deserve, but rather, that's why he says it's free. When you look at Romans chapter 6, we understand that in giving a commitment to God, we are changing our life from this person of sin to be the person that follows the pattern of our Lord. Just as Christ died, and he was buried in the tomb, and he rose again, I encourage you, you can follow that pattern. You can die where you put off sin and you say, I'm no longer in the 
sinning business. I'm no longer pursuing that which brings death, but rather I want to pursue Christ. Then we find burial. We see Jesus was buried in the tomb. And we as people are to be buried are to be immersed in the water so that we can be raised up from the water to live for God. It says to walk in newness of life. I ask you today, I ask you tonight, if you haven't given your life to Christ, why not? Understanding that only, the only way that life is found is in Christ. The only way in which we have hope for the future is through Christ. Understanding the great blessings of it, I question you today, and now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins. Put off what the world has to offer and give your life to Christ. If you haven't done that, do it right now. Please come as we stand and sing.